Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. I want to begin this morning by saying how truly good it is to be among you again. It has been a while since I've been in the 1045 service, and I've missed y'all, and so I'm glad to see all of your faces. I've seen some of you in Sunday school and around the church, but it is good to be back here in the pulpit at the 1045 traditional service. And so I want to say also thank you, so many of you, these last few weeks being solo. um, It has been quite a journey. It has only rained in the kitchen once, and a bit of the fellowship hall fell in, but other than that... Everything's going fine, but I want to say thank you to those of you who have been so incredibly gracious and helpful, and um, some, many have volunteered to step in and preach, and that has made being in two places possible, and so I'm just grateful for that. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah in the ninth chapter, verses two through seven. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. It will also be on the screens behind me. Hear these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders The rod of their oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the people said, thanks be to God. Amen. So last night, like I would imagine, many of you perhaps in this room, if you're football fans at all, my husband and I gathered around the TV to watch Joe Burrow, a scrappy quarterback from Ohio who now plays for LSU, receive the Heisman Trophy. How many of you watched that? Yeah, some of you over here, some of our choir too. It's the first time in 60 years that a player from LSU has won the coveted award. Of course, Billy Cannon took home the trophy in 1959. And while Joe won by the largest percentage of votes in Heisman history, that really wasn't what struck me last night, although that was incredibly impressive. What I was listening to as he was giving his speech, and it was a very emotional and moving speech. I know some of you, you may not want to admit it, but maybe some of you cried a little bit. Uh, There were some tears in my house. Matt's kind of a crybaby like that. But (laughs) 
He was doing, uh, in, his, in his speech, he was talking to his coach, to Coach O. And he said to him, you'll never know or you don't know what you mean to me and to my family. Because you see, for three years while Joe was on the team at Ohio State, he didn't play. This incredibly gifted and talented young man sat on the bench And it was Coach O who took a chance on him, not even really knowing how he would play in the college level. And he gave him the coveted starting quarterback position at LSU. And this, of course, has changed LSU football this year and changed Joe's life in so many ways, in ways that we probably won't know for years to come. And I sat there taking that in and thinking about it. I thought about what those three years must have been like for Joe to show up for practice every day, to work out, to do all that he could to improve and to dress out for all the games, to run through the tunnel and then go and sit on the bench and to watch everyone else do that which he most longed to do, that which he knew in his bones he was capable of doing, that thing that he had waited his entire life and worked for And now he was just sitting, watching others do it. Three years of waiting. That is a very long time. That's a lot of practices and games to stay positive in. How did he not get discouraged? Hoping against hope that his waiting would not be in vain. And so when you see, when you know that, and then you see that moment and how things changed in that final year for him in college football It's hard not to be moved by that. This is the time of year in Advent that we call the waiting time. It's a time when we remember that at some point in our life, all of us wait. We probably spend a good portion of our life waiting if we think about it. Not only do we wait for Christmas time to come, we wait for the parade to start. Some of y'all did that yesterday. We're waiting for the interim to get here in January. We're waiting to see who the senior pastor will be after that. Some of you are waiting to get a job. Some of you are waiting to say goodbye to someone who soon will depart this earth. Some of you are waiting to say hello to someone who soon will make their presence known. Waiting to see if our Children will be able to do all the things they hope to do in life. Our grandchildren, if they'll overcome those obstacles that are in front of them, waiting to see how it all is gonna go and how it all ends. Just waiting, a lot of waiting. Paul Tillich once said that waiting means not having and having all at the same time. For though we don't know yet what we have as we wait, The fact is, when we wait, it shows that we somehow already possess it. Waiting anticipates that which is not yet real. Often, as we wait, that which we wait for isn't really that far from us. One of my favorite psalms is a psalm about waiting. It's Psalm 130. And there's this little part in it, and I love to preach on it. I wait for the Lord My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those 
who watched for the morning. In biblical times, a watchman was one who stood on the highest point of the city and they, while everyone else slept, would stay up and would peer through the darkness to make sure that no enemies were coming to attack the city or that there were no prowlers, that nothing went wrong. And as you can imagine, that was a very lonely job. It was a job filled with fear. There was a lot of time just trying to keep oneself awake and alert. It's hard to stay awake in the quiet hours of the dark. Maybe some of you have laid watch with a loved one before, laid into the night, maybe a sick child or a sick loved one. When I used to be a chaplain in the hospital, I would spend time at night on those particular all-nighter shifts and I would sit with families and they would pray for loved ones through the night. There was just something about that that was holy and hard. And we would wait together for the dawning of the light. The psalmist says that waiting on the Lord is more stressful even than the job of waiting through the night. And it's in this waiting that we meet the people that Isaiah is speaking to. The people have been walking and living in a time of deep darkness, scripture says. I think we know something of deep darkness. Another way of translating this in the Hebrew is to say that they were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You've heard that before. It was a time for the people of fear and uncertainty and sorrow They're facing a foreign invader. The Assyrians are threatening to attack. They can't see their way out and the future feels very uncertain and the darkness is real and it is deep. And they long for the inbreaking of God's light more than the watchman longs for the coming of the dawn. And so Isaiah speaks to them. He speaks a word and he speaks it in the form of a poem and he does something really cool. He doesn't just do it in future tense. He does it in present tense, actually in past tense. He does it as if it has already happened because he is so confident that God is going to do it. And so he envisions the dawning of the light of salvation which results in great joy for God's people because God has brought and is going to bring liberation from foreign oppression. He is going to bring peace upon the earth and he's gonna do this through a child. Now, it isn't for another 500 years that this actually happens. So in this time, the people continue to wait and as Christians, we understand this child to be Jesus Christ. And so they had to wait not just three years like Joe, they had to wait 500 years and somehow they kept the faith. And we know they did because by the time Jesus is born, the faith still continues. As Christians, we see that God is inviting us through this story to not just look at our present circumstances, but to really look towards the future that God has for us. But even having said that, I want to acknowledge something. The inbreaking of the light, as beautiful and as wonderful as it is, and you've had those times when you've, when you've had a hard season and suddenly it's like the sun comes out and even for just a moment there's joy in your spirit. You know those moments. But even those, doesn't, it just doesn't change the fact that we still live in a fallen world. And around us is brokenness and sometimes 
We participate in that brokenness. We hurt one another. We forget our identity as children of God and we do this outside the walls of this church. We do that inside the walls of this church and sometimes we are the ones who are hurt by the people outside and inside. We forget not just our identity as children of God but we forget others' identity as well. And if you read the story of the birth of Jesus, you see that this brokenness is there from the beginning. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they live as a minority people and they're occupied by the Roman government. They have no power. They have no voice. They are shown no personal favor in the world. They give birth in a way that most of us would be terrified by. Outside, no doctor, no hospital, no doula, no bath, no pain meds, like none of that. Those shepherds out in the field, they are blue collar workers that most people wouldn't wanna be around. And then there's that refugee moment when in a dream, Joseph is told to rise and take the child and his mother and to flee. And they leave everything that they have in the dead of the night, all that they know, all of their friends and family. And they seek asylum in a foreign country and thank goodness that country took them in because King Herod, he is very disturbed by the birth of this child. And he has called for the death of all children to and under all boys And no one, not even God, will stop him. And scripture says, comfortless Rachel will weep for her children because they are no more. And then the shepherds, after they've seen this child, they go back. They go back to work. And they become witnesses of other things too. They become witnesses of the death of these children of the corrupt collaboration of church and state, of the death of John the baptizer. And these same shepherds, if they're still alive, even see perhaps the death of this child when he grows up. And yet, somehow in the midst of all of that, hope remains. And so maybe what that tells us is that for true hope to exist in this world, we have to possess the, the guts to go head to head which that, which, with that that most threatens the existence of hope. Because in the waiting times, in the days of sorrow, in the days of darkness and fear, there is also the greatest potential for transformation in our lives and for our faith to deepen. You know, we are stronger when we wait than when we possess sometimes. We're stronger because it's in those moments that we are most dependent upon God. In those moments, we pray more, we listen more, we have compassion for other people who are hurting too. We see things that we often ignore. When we don't feel that we already possess everything that we need to get by, we are much more open to the movement of God in our spirit and desperate for it. And I gotta say, that is not always a bad thing. We live in a world that tells us we need to be happy all the time. We need to entertain ourselves. If you don't find it here, go there. But sometimes the better thing for our soul is to be in that place of waiting and dependence upon God I wait for the Lord, the psalm says. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. That is the promise of something better to come, the inbreaking of the light upon our darkness. 
And nothing, no circumstance that we face can take that promise from us. You know, in the Christmas story, whether it's Simeon or Anna or Mary or Joseph or any of the others who are part of the narrative, you know, they experience tremendous soul-crushing sorrow at times and such magnificent joy. But their hope was rooted in something much deeper. And we have to root deeply, too. If we are to make it, then we have to find a way to not just look at our present circumstances, but to grab hold of the promise that is before us from God. I think about Joe, and I wonder how many times in those three years he found himself so discouraged that he really wanted to give up. Maybe there were people around him and said, hey, you weren't that good anyway. They took delight in the fact that he sat there. Finally, this wonder kid is sitting down. I'm sure he had his own internal voices. We all do, these voices of doubt. But I think I know how he made it through, and I think it had something to do with the people in his life who continued to encourage him, the people who saw something in him. And we do that for one another, and when we do that well, It is such a beautiful thing. We're able to get to places together that none of us can get to alone. I shared with the refuge group last week that I had an opportunity to go and run in the St. Jude Marathon. I did not run the marathon. I only ran the 10K. But I was there with 26,000 other people who were also running. And actually, there's some folks in here who were there last weekend, too, It was incredible to be in this place with all of these people who had a singular purpose, to raise money and awareness and hope for research to end childhood cancer. And so it was this really emotional thing. I know I said Matt was kind of the crybaby, and usually he is. He's not here, so I can pick on him, but usually he is. But I, lately, I kind of have been and I cried the whole time. That's what I told him. I, I cried before the race started and I cried when it started. And then all of the races, whether you run the 5K, 10K, the half or the full, you run through the campus of St. Jude. And so there were 900 families there with patients. And so to run through them, cried again. But everybody around me was crying too. Um, I watched my video this week of me at the finish line and you see I finish and start crying all over again. It was just... It was not crying in a bad way, but it was this beautiful and holy thing. I ran with a woman who the year before had watched the race from her window in the hospital room. She was there with her child, and her child was too sick to go and to be one of those who were cheering. And so she had committed that this year she was going to run no matter what happened, no matter what happened with her child, no matter what happened in her life, she was going to come back and she was going to run because she wanted to be part of that group that came through and gave hope to other people looking out of the windows of the hospital as she was on that day. And I think about that and I think about us in the faith. I think about our role as Christians. What greater purpose could we have than to be those who are a light in the world, who go into the land of deep darkness 
and who stand together and who tell the story and sing the songs of faith and remind each other and ourselves that this is not all that there is, that we are not lost, we are not forgotten, that there is more That though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we live in the promise of our God and he is not through with us yet. This is what we are called to do and sometimes we get it all wrong. Sometimes we do the very opposite of that and we bring darkness and with that comes a deep shame and we have to find a way back out of that because God needs us to stand back up. God needs us to allow him to empower us with his Holy Spirit and light that light again so that we might shine against the forces of darkness which are trying so hard to convince the world that the light does not exist, that its day has come and gone, that the story is worthless, that the child is not real, that he was never born, and if he was, he was nothing. It's a lie. The child has come. The child died, but the child rose again. And he will come again. We are not a people without hope. Don't ever forget who you are. Let your light shine even as you wait. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.